And I want to just share with you as we continue to walk through the book of Acts, I want to talk to you from Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 22. And I want, I, don't, I don't want to talk to you about a revolutionary resurrection. Somebody say revolutionary resurrection. You see, I'm, um, I'm fascinated by revolutions and movements. I believe that this is a, a movement of God that's taking place right here. I'm, I'm fascinated by that. Uh, anybody else a fan of Les Mis? Uh, anybody in the house? Les Mis, the French Revolution of, of 1789 to 1799, the, the monarchy collapsing in a span of just a, a short span of time and, and what that, that ended up bringing about not only in, in France, but throughout the world. The American Revolution, 13 colonies breaking free from the British Empire. Um, just love uh, watching movies related to that, reading books related to that. Uh, the Industrial Re Revolution, moving from an agrarian and agricultural society into manufacturing societies. You know, uh, because of the current role that I have been in, as, a, as, as my, my wife, Abby, and I, we will transition down to New Orleans, what we're doing right now is not going to leave us because we're in a bit of a current um, movement, uh, a revolution of sorts. Uh, the UNHCR, the United Nations for High Commission for Refugees, uh, they kind of announced this last year that was incredibly fascinating. That 1% of humanity right now, right now, and this is the first time in all of humanity, 1% of humanity, that's at the time, 2020, 1 in 97 people are forcibly displaced. Forcibly displaced. So you have, you have a lot of people who maybe they're asylum seekers, they're, they're refugees. Some of you might have been hearing uh, these kind of phrases, the special immigrant visas, the SIVs and the parolees. They're, since... 2020, we are in a bit of a movement taking place right now where 1% of humanity is forcibly displaced. The place where they were, they can no longer be there for some reason. And so at the tail end of uh, August, we saw the, the, the departure of the, the military from Afghanistan. And as a result of it, we're seeing this, this current movement of Afghans who are arriving in the United States. I, I just want to poll the audience real quick. Any of you actually met someone who's recently arrived from Afghanistan? There may not be anybody here, but raise your hand if you've recently met somebody. My boys, they were raising their hands. So... If you didn't know this, there's quite a, a wave of Afghans who have served faithfully, because this was one of the longest wars that the U.S. had ever engaged in uh, since 2001, pretty much, in the, the fall of the Twin Towers. And so now we have this, this wave of Afghans that are showing up to the United States. And uh, there's reports, you know, 55,000 or so that were initially showing up and, and, and they, were, they were being flown immediately out and, and transported out and they'd go to places like Doha, Qatar or 
Germany, and then from there they'd go to D.C. for a, a very quick moment, and then they would be scattered throughout all of the military bases here within the United States. Not all of them, but a select number of them. And then from there, they show up to a place like Clarkston. Clarkston is in metro Atlanta, and so that's where Abby and Charlie and Max and all my, my family, that's where we've been living. And there's a massive movement of Afghans that are coming this direction. And I'm fascinated by it. I'm fascinated by it so much that I just, I just got to do something about it. Because I believe that that particular movement, that movement of Afghans, for better or for worse, coming to the United States, is part of my favorite movement. And that's the movement of God's gospel to all peoples everywhere. So it's meant for me just two days ago, pulling out a leaf blower. Anybody busy blowing leaves right now, doing something like that in your neck of the woods? Pulling out a leaf blower and hanging out with Khaled, an Afghan father. And he's got nine kids that are staying at our property. Not my house, but the property that we help out with. Nine kids. And those kids out there are just blowing leaves with us and having the best of times because we're realizing that we're really not that different. He's a father that wants the best for his kids, and I'm a father that wants the best for my kids. To the point that we get together and another guy, Sultani, that my oldest son, Max, would spend some time playing chess with Sultani while the rest of us are out there playing cricket because Afghans love to play cricket and soccer and and we're doing that because we're paying attention to this movement, this micro-movement of sorts of Afghans arriving here to the United States because ultimately I'm obsessed, as I hope that the church is, with the greatest movement of all time, the greatest revolution of all time, and to an extent the greatest spiritual migration of all time that began all the way back in the book of Acts. And it was ignited by the resurrection. It's going to come up on the screen. I want you to hear this as we are about to dive into God's word today. Believing in the resurrection ignites radical revolution. Believing in the resurrection ignites radical revolution. It cannot do anything but that. Believing in the resurrection produces drastic change. By faith, Bolt, come on up here, buddy. Come on up here. How, he's getting huge on me, my, my, my nephew, the oldest one. He's, you're going to be taller than me one day, aren't you? Right? <laughs> Rob, he's going to get taller than me. Not taller than you, but taller. Uh, we're going to see how that works. I don't know. Okay. Jesus was a real person. Flesh and bones. Jesus, whom we follow. Now, you're not Jesus. You know that, right? But Jesus, who we follow, was born. He legitimately walked this earth a real person guys we're we're 2000 years 
plus separated from that moment. But by faith, we believe as, as real as Bolt is here to me. I'm not going to pinch you too hard because I know you'll get me back a little bit later on. Jesus truly walked this earth. He lived a perfect life. He's as real by faith. We believe him to be as real as Bolt, who is standing here, who I love so much. He's my, I just adore this guy, man. He's such a stud. And then he really did die. Someone who was real walked with his followers, walked with his disciples, performed miracles, signs, and wonders, willingly gave up his life. He died upon the cross. A real person did this. But what's even more fascinating, as, as real as Bolt is right here next to me right now, and as true, by faith, we believed that he died and he was buried, that real person, as real as I see Bolt right now, that real person came back to life. This is what we believe. Y'all give it up for Bolt real quick, huh? I love you, buddy. He really came back to life. Do you believe that? Do you believe truly that Jesus lived, that he died, and that he came back to life? Because if you do, you are participating in a revolutionary resurrection that began in the book of Acts and is having ramifications to this very day. In Acts chapter 3, you learned about the lame beggar being healed. And it's an amazing miracle. But this miracle is a product of the resurrection. So now we get into Acts chapter 4, beginning just in verses 1 through 3, because I want to talk to you about this. Number one, that the resurrection is a problem for the status quo. And some of us need to hear that this morning because uh, we're getting a little bit too comfortable living in the status quo. You see, take a look at the, the problem, the problem of the resurrection for the status quo in verses 1 through 3. And it says this, as they were speaking to the people, the priests... Here, we're going to mention the status quo. These are the people who hold the status in the status quo. The priests, right? And the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. Greatly annoyed. Why? There's their problem. They had a problem. Why were they greatly annoyed? Because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them because the status quo understood that Peter and John, together with this man who was healed, was creating a problem. And it says, and they arrested him, them, and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. You see, leadership is annoyed with Peter for two reasons. One, for teaching and proclaiming Jesus. Jesus is not the typical status quo. And yet, Peter and John 
having performed a miracle, is proclaiming this Jesus. So number one, leadership is annoyed because they are teaching and proclaiming Jesus. But secondly, leadership is annoyed because they are teaching and proclaiming that this recent Jesus was just resurrected from the grave. And that's really important because you understand that the Sadducees, that particular sect of Jewish leadership in that day, they didn't believe in a resurrection. The Pharisees, on the other hand, they believed in a general resurrection. Do you see the problem for the status quo that I'm starting to make, make us aware of? The Sadducees over here are saying, no, there's no resurrection. The Pharisees, on the other hand, they believe that there's a general resurrection that happens at the end. Yet Peter proclaims Jesus, a messianic figure who was recently resurrected. You see, this undermines both groups and their authority. The resurrection is a problem for the status quo. Why is it a problem? Well, first of all, it's a problem if you believe. How in the world can we live life as normal? Life as usual. If we truly believe in our heart of hearts that God raised Jesus from the dead. How in the world can we function like the status quo? Like everyone else. If at the very core of your being... You're telling people, I believe 2,000 years ago, God sent Jesus. He died, and three days later, he came back to life. To believe that is an incredible problem. Because it doesn't allow you to just operate under the status quo. But equally is also true, it's a, it's a problem... It's a problem if you don't believe. It's a problem if you do believe. But it's a problem also if you, if you don't believe. It's a problem if you don't think it's true. You, you can just listen to me real quick because I, I quickly just turn over to 1 Corinthians and just listen to this famous passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 12. Listen to this problem if the resurrection is not true. This is the Apostle Paul speaking to the church at Corinth, and he says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. That's a problem. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Do you understand how important the resurrection is? That even the things that you preach and proclaim or the faith, the very faith that you hold dear, it's in vain. We're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, listen to this. Your faith is futile 
and you are still in your sins. I love this. Because the lame beggar being healed, and then this activity that's happening in Acts 4, is a product of the resurrection. And the resurrection is a problem. So let me go ahead and say this, and I pray that the Holy Spirit will give you guidance. In what way has the resurrection been problematic for you? In what way has the resurrection, fully believing it at the core of your being, become a problem for you? Because let's keep on reading and discover what, what God's doing here in Acts chapter 4. Because point, point number 2, and I've got four points that I'm going to share with you guys today. Point number 2 is we're going to look at verses 4 through 7. Is that the resurrection is a greater power than the rest of the powers combined. The, great, the resurrection is a greater power than the res, rest of the resurrection uh, than the rest of the powers combined. Beginning in verse 4, take a look at this. But many of those who had heard the word believed and the number of the men came to about 5,000 see this is a movement you understand this right Acts chapter 1 verse 15 they started with 120 Acts chapter 2 verse 41 the number is growing to 3,000 Acts chapter 2 verses 47 and they were being added to added to their number daily those who were being saved which is now getting us to Acts chapter 4 and verse 4 where it says 5,000. Now I know maybe by our standards with uh, a, a lot of you know, people on planet earth right now. But let me tell you something. This is a major concern for the leadership of the day. You see, for the leadership of the day, the crucifixion of Jesus was an attempt to quell the movement. They thought if they could cut off the head of the snake, it'd be over and done with. But we are seeing the witness and the testimony of a greater power that is far more powerful than all other powers combined. And you see this, that even their first attempt of a crucifixion did not work because God raised Jesus from the dead. So they begin to grow. Let's take a look at verses 4 through 7, now in verse 5. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest. You see the status quo and the problem is created, right? And you got all of these earth shakers. You got these power brokers. You got these people, the elders and the scribes. You got Anna, Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. That is a powerful group of people assembling to attempt to quell the movement that Peter and John, together with this healed beggar, is trying to proclaim. In the midst of them, they had set, and when they had set them in the midst, verse 7, they inquired by what power, somebody say power, by what power or by what name are you doing this? You see, those in authority think they have authority to question the authority behind this particular miracle. But I've got news for you. The resurrection power 
is a greater power than all other powers combined. Do you know that? Because you believe in Jesus, who lived, who died and came back to life, ascended into heaven with a promise to return, there is no power that is going to be greater than that that comes into your life. There's going to be no situation that you're going to look at and go, man, the resurrection can't solve this. There's never going to be a moment where you're going to say, wow, you know, that resurrection of Jesus just falls short. It never does. It never does. His resurrection is a greater power than all the other powers combined. And then point three that I want to share with you is we keep walking through this amazing story because I believe this miracle of the blind, of the lame beggar is a product of the resurrection. Point number three, the resurrection is a can't help myself proclamation. It's a can't help myself proclamation. Let's just read through verses 8 through 12 because all of a sudden it's a problem for the status quo. The status quo, those in authority are saying, I don't know if we can do something about this, but we're going to try and do something about it. And then you see Peter and John respond to it with a can't help myself moment of proclamation, verses 8 through 12. Let's just read and just, let's be entertained by how Peter responds right here. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you, and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of who? Jesus. Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you. That beggar, by, the, by him who was raised from the dead, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And in this verse so good, I don't know if you guys love verse 12, but I sure do. I love verse 12. And there's salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. You see, the resurrection is a can't help myself proclamation. And Peter provides us an outstanding, an excellent model on how to proclaim the gospel. In the first place, he's just letting God use him. If you believe in the resurrection, are you ready to let God use you tomorrow? If you believe in the resurrection, are you ready to let God use you today? You see, Peter... He was just faithful to allow God to use him. And as a result, God allowed him to graciously be part of this wonderful moment in which there was this beggar, this lame beggar, and he was miraculously brought to health. He lets God use him. He addresses the people respectfully. Guys, I hang out with people of all different types of faith. I hang out in a part of Atlanta where people aren't even lining up with my kind of ideologies and slants and persuasions that gives me no right whatsoever in accordance with scripture to be disrespectful to other people 
That gives me no right whatsoever. Christians who think that they can have the audacity to just present themselves with so much, like, just disrespect for the people around them, that's not biblical. Peter, in fact, said, But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer for the reason for the hope that you have, 1 Peter 3.15. But do so with what? With gentleness and respect. Check it out in this particular passage of Scripture in Acts chapter 4. He, he does this. It's a Hellenistic kind of rhetoric approach. Rulers of the people and elders. He addresses them respectfully. And look what he then does next. He plainly, plainly gives credit to Jesus. Can I ask you a question? Because of all the things that my brother said, hey, take a moment to really think about all the things that you're thankful for. When is the last time to someone else you've plainly given credit to Jesus? <laughs> Jesus did it. <laughs> it's because of Jesus. Because that's what he's doing right here is he's, he's sharing the gospel. Guys, good things happen in your life. When's the last time you've testified to somebody else? Yeah, it's because of Jesus. Because all things are from him. He plainly gives credit to Jesus. He makes it personal, because this is where it gets really interesting. We don't want to get personal, and yet he went personal. Let it be known to you, to you. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Look at this. Look, whom you crucified. Ooh, it's not politically correct. Whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead by this Man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you. You want to share the gospel with people? Make it personal. We are all sinners. Every one of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Jesus was crucified because of you, because of me. He willingly gave up his life. He did this out of his desire, but we crucified him. It was not just the Sanhedrin. It was not just the Roman centurions. It was you and me as well. And because all of us are in sin, separated from a holy and righteous God, friends, with all the love in my heart, as much as we want to give credit to Jesus, we've got to bring responsibility to ourselves that we have sinned, we have violated God's ways, and God being rich in love and mercy, compassion, kindness, he is restoring us through Jesus who was crucified and came back to life. And we've got to make it personal. We've got to make it per personal, and then we have to declare Christ as our only hope. You see, the resurrection is a can't-help-myself proclamation. I, I love bragging on my kids. I love bragging on my wife. I sometimes like bragging on my brother. I definitely like bragging on Annabeth. You know, when we have things that we are super thankful for, we can't help ourselves. We have to share it 
and we have to proclaim it. To believe the resurrection is to possess a can't-help-myself proclamation. And then fourth and finally, because I want to share this with you, the resurrection, because I think that this is more important in our society today and the way in which we're having to live out our Christian faith, point number four, the resurrection produces pressure to keep faith private. You know it. It's on you right now. It's on you related to those who are your neighbors. It's on related to you with your employment, with your education, at the gym, the way in which you present yourself on social media. It's there and you know it. We live in an era of almost remnant theology now where it's not because everything is just uber-Christian, but it feels in many ways that so many of us think that we're getting pushed into a corner and the pressure is mounting, and the thing that you and I think that we're supposed to do is just, okay, let's have our faith, let's believe in the resurrection, but let's keep it private. There's a pressure about this. You see, in verse 13 and verse 22, just listen to this as we read it. Now Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Just stop there, verse 13. Peter and John understand the pressure of keeping faith private because they were being accused right here that they were uneducated common men. Some of you have a pressure right now in your life because you're like, I just don't know enough. I'm not well-knowledged enough regarding Christian theology or exactly how to articulate the gospel with great clarity. And you have this pressure that you think you're just like they're saying of Peter and John that they're uneducated common men. But look and see what happens here. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, some of you need to hear this accusation of the enemy right now. You need to hear that through the society that is trying to suppress your faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He said, so they called to them in verse 18 and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. You see, Peter and John, they understand religious, cultural, and political pressure. Religious because they were standing in front of the council. Cultural because it was before all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Political because they were standing before the Sanhedrin and they knew that this was going to be in front of Caesar eventually. Yet, verse 19, but Peter and John answered them, whether whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge you. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. 
And when they had further threatened them and they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. You see, as I close here, I just want to say this. The pressure of the resurrection and its truth was greater than the pressure of conformity. I understand. I understand that each and every single one of us are pressured into living a passive Christian life. To not speak up, to not radically give, to not radically go, the pressure is on us on all particular sides. But I close and I just ask you this. Do you believe in the resurrection? Do you believe that the resurrection has sparked a revolution? Do you believe that God wants to save all peoples for himself and make for himself a redeemed group of people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language? Do you believe that? Enter into the revolution. Enter into the revolution by doing one thing. Starting now, take hold of the resurrection like you've never taken hold of it before. Believe that the resurrection has power in your workplace. Believe that the resurrection has power in your marriage. Believe that resurrection has power with your children, with your neighborhood, with every single aspect of your life, that the resurrection is the greatest power in my life because I know that while I was yet still a sinner, Christ died for me. And I know that I will be with him and have life abundant and life eternal because Jesus is no longer in that grave. He came back to life. And he wants me to enter into this movement. He wants others to enter into this movement. God desires for this world to have hope. Own this resurrection and let it transform your life. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. We're going to close this time in response by singing to you. Reminding ourselves of Peter and John standing before this council understanding that this is all a product of the resurrection we thank you jesus that you came you lived you died and you came back to life and that we are still in this movement pour fresh upon us that we might be revived and renewed and that we might go and proclaim you who has come back